Welcome to the Benakiba Connects podcast, a podcast exploring the challenges and transformational technology in the insurance industry. Join us as we talk about industry issues and the technology, tactics, and tools that will help your business become a beneficiary first company. We are on a mission to help our clients become customer centric in their approach to claims management with powerful processes, customer experiences, and technology. Now, here's your host, Ashley Oxholm. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Benakiva Connects podcast. I am your host, Ashley Oxholm. And today we have the pleasure of having our founder and CEO, Brent, on with us, as well as Nick Lamparelli, co-founder of Green Shield Risk Solutions. How are you doing today, Nick? I'm great. So excited to have a conversation with you guys. It's great. Yeah, it's going to be fun, and and we're glad to have you. I'm going to just dive in. We'll get started because we want to know a little bit about you and who you are and and where you're at and what you do in the industry. Yeah, so a little bit about me, um, 26-year insurance, I'll call it veteran, um, a little seasoned, um, and predominantly in the property and casualty space, done everything from local corner mom and pop agency to middle market brokerage to underwriting but predominantly my career the last 15 years or so has been in the um, natural catastrophe space so modeling analytics reinsurance buying Um, a little over five years ago um, me and two other folks um, started an mga called rethought solutions because i felt as though I felt as though flood could be underwritten profitably and it could be underwritten digitally. And I think we, we validated that out. And today I am the co-founder of green shield risk solutions, my second foray into entrepreneurship. So I didn't learn my lesson the first time. Gotta, gotta go through it again to really get slapped on the wrist. Um, but with a different, with a different take, um, a focus on risk management, a focus on prevention and mitigation, loss control, a focus on um, linking linking prevention, mitigation, and insurance together, um, forging a bond between them and not having them um, separated. So bring, trying to bring a lot of analytics and digitization to that particular area so that, um, so that we can take every dollar of insurance capacity and stretch it farther. Yeah. So that's that's the dent that we're trying to make um, in the universe. And when I'm not doing that, I live in Florida with my beautiful wife and two little kids. Um, and it's winter time. So I'm enjoying it while you guys struggle. In six months, you guys can you guys can ridicule me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to know, Brent, and, and you can answer this one. How did you guys line up in the insurance world? Where did you guys meet and, and develop that relationship? Yeah, we've, uh, we've got a, quite a relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. Some people call it a bromance because we've got some some pictures out there that, that might suggest we have a bromance. But, uh, the, the paparazzi caught us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, we got connected quite a while ago. Um, I think it was back in 2018, and 
I don't know if it was at a at an event or yes. whether me yeah and and uh i think it was insuretech rising in boston i think is what it was yeah and uh so we connected and then we got on some calls and and i was interested in the in the uh risk portion more about you know where we talk about retention turning that life claim into a a, a sales opportunity and that obviously includes the underwriting process and and underwriting that risk as part of that overall process and and when we were talking, we were like, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. We could really, like, geek out on on just that subject alone. But uh, then just over the years, yeah, we've just become really good friends and colleagues. And and it's been it's been a great relationship for sure. That's awesome. All right. And I have to ask this question because we ask all of our guests because we have we have a theory here that no one ends up in insurance on purpose. So tell me, Nick, how did you end up in the insurance industry and what has kept you there for as long as you've been? Yeah. Um, so I will be another data point in the column of had no intention and just kind of, kind of fell into it. So um, my, my undergrad background was in biology and chemistry. So I had always planned on um, going into the medical field or doing, I, I think, I think when I graduated, I was really into like cancer research and doing something like that. So I was actually at UMass medical. Um, I had taken a year or two off, two years off to do research. Um, and when I got back to school at UMass medical, um, I couldn't do it. I couldn't flip the switch back on to actually become a student and study 60 hours a week. I just, I, it was not possible for me to do that. So I was there for a summer semester, took one class, worked in a lab and just said, I don't actually, I love, I loved studying science, but I would actually not be a good scientist. And at the time, uh, a good friend of mine from high school bought his dad's insurance agency and we were having lunch or dinner. And he said, why don't you come join me? Uh, two things you need to know. Everyone needs to buy insurance and you're going to get rich. <laughs> and I was like, sign me, up. sign me up. So um, the, the second part never actually materialized. Not yet, I hope. Um, but it didn't materialize. But there was enough there. Um, I had been like tinkering around. It was the dot-com boom. I was tinkering around in the stock market. So I was reading books on finance and economics and risk. And it just, it scratched an itch. And so there was enough there that I held on to it and just sort of went position by position up until where I got to today. So no, no, there was no foresight. It was by accident, by luck. Uh, I would say the first 10 years, there was a lot of uh, eagerness of me to get out, to, to find that avenue where I was going to get rich. Um, but it, here I am. That's a great answer. And and Brent has commented before, you know, insurance is, it's one of those things. It's just always going to be around, you know, people yeah. are always going to, going to need it. And, and I think that's kind of how a lot of people end up getting into it and staying in it. Yeah, so, just... so many people have, that I have interviewed on my podcast over the years um, have been like, I needed a job. Yeah. yeah. I just think it's fascinating that people from so many different walks of life, so many different educational backgrounds, uh, somehow end up in the insurance industry. But then what's really intriguing to me is they, they typically don't leave. 
they stay in the insurance industry. It's almost like, uh, you know, one of our other guests says, like Hotel California, you can check in, but you can't check out. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, there's something about it. I, I'm, I'm mostly um, appreciative of those who get in and become a nerd yeah. like me, right? Yeah. And, and, and like you said, all walks of life. Yeah. Um, all diverse backgrounds, they get in and they found the same sort of uh, elements, the characteristics of it that they were they could get passionate mm-hmm. about. And that's the thing, like the stereotype that people have about insurance is not real. No, that's, that's a stereotype. Once you come in, you realize that it's like you can you could be an engineer and have a home. You could be yeah. a marketer and have a home. You could be a copywriter and have a home, a lawyer. You know, there's so I don't know of another industry that could support so many different uh, people across different walks of life the way insurance does. And so I'm most appreciative about that. Folks that accidentally get in and they find a home and they brag about it to others. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to do a little bit of a shift and we're going to talk about risk management and the improvements in risk management. What do you see as some of the most important developments in risk management in the time that you've been in the industry? Hmm. Wow. I would say the, in the bulk of my career, there had not been much of a shift in risk management. It had been done pretty much the same way. Uh, it has been done pretty much the same way for decades. Yeah. Right. And so it, and the, the challenge really centers around um, as a – if you think about risk management, there's prevention, mitigation, and risk transfer. We're obviously preoccupied with the risk transfer part of it. And if you look at the, the, the numbers, the dollar numbers that go into each, wow, like insurance dwarfs prevention and mitigation. And in that kind of paradigm – you wouldn't expect like significant advances in risk management. It's like all the money's going into insurance. But I would say the insure tech element has dramatically changed what risk management is. So I'm, I'm going to back up a little bit further and go back to like the late 80s. Um, I would say the first insure tech and the first real technological tool that I think really advanced risk management were the catastrophe models. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we're talking significant advancement in preventing insolvencies for companies to be able to manage their exposure in a really formalized way with science backing it up where you could bring in, um, all sorts of analytics to optimize portfolio, streamline underwriting. So late eighties when catastrophe models were built, I would say that was a massive advancement in companies being able to proactively do things. But that's not real risk. For the carrier, that's risk management. Yeah. For property owners, that's not that's not risk management. Risk management is you invest in your property and you, um, you get the benefit of a lower risk and over time, lower uh, total cost of risk, therefore lower, lower premiums. So the class act, in property and casualty that does this better than no one else is FM Global um, on an on a on an industrial scale. That's the business that they go after, but truly like industrial class risk management. So 150 years of 
an engineering approach to fire management, mm-hmm. right? They have, they have, they build the standards for risk management for industrial facilities, factories, manufacturing plants, lar- you know, anything that's large commercial, they've built the standards and they vet um, the vendors who are coming in building the actual sprinklers and the, you know, the other elements of, of fire management. So when you talk about risk management and then talk about like insurance, you can't ignore FM Global and what they've done. But you notice I mentioned fire. Yeah. There has not been, I would say um, there have been incremental improvements in risk management in other perils such as wind and flood. Um, I think wind most notably and most notably in Florida, but that has been predominantly like a building code thing where the state itself and the local counties have dominated in, you know, here's the kind of walls you need to have. Here's the roof you need to have. It's kind of plateaued, right? Like if, if, if the state doesn't kind of push the risk management, nothing happens, right? But then InsureTech came and now we have all of this digital technology. I can now use aerial imagery, scan down, and we can use um, computer vision to, to look tile by tile, right, on a roof and tell you, is, is the tile missing? Is there something faulty with that tile? Is the tile discolored, which correlates to, you know, age and potential faultiness of, of the tile and therefore the roof? And we can do that now at scale, right? Yeah. Before we'd have to send an inspector and they'd have to climb up on the roof and it was dangerous for them and expensive for everybody. Now we can do it for pennies. Yeah. Kind Absolutely. of thing. So that's so the, want- the big thing is that the digitization of the elements that need to be done so that we can do more things faster and cheaper. Absolutely. And I want to shift to you, Brent, because I think our listeners would, would question, you know, what does Benakiva have to do with risk management? Like, yeah. Where does that kick in? Yeah, so a couple things come to mind. You know, when you when you talk about the insure techs, um, I mentor for tech tech stars, and we have a, a a group of wonderful companies here in Iowa that I mentor for. But one of them what that I got paired for or paired to as one of their main mentors is this company called Drone Adair, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the founder is a wonderful dude. He's a he's a very sharp guy, but what they do is they actually created a platform where they where they connect insurance companies to drone pilots based on a project by project scenario. So basically an insurance company can say, hey, I want you to go inspect this list. They'll find the, the closest uh, pilot, you know, professional drone pilot. They'll give them a list of things they need to go get and they'll fly a drone over there and, and get that information. And. You know, the question back to Benakiva is exactly what Ashley says. What's that got to do with Benakiva? (laughs) Well, in the claims process, right, certain claims processes may need some of those same scenarios, right? Think of disability. You know, while we hate to think that there are people that try to defraud insurance companies, the fact is there are, right? So, you know, if if Benakiva is connected to a drone Adair and there's a suspect a disability claim process where we got a guy who says, oh, I've got a bad back, but yet 
we've got drone coverage of him playing 18 holes of golf three days a week. Why there's a problem there, right? I mean, that's, uh, so, so that's how it connects to, uh, to Ben Akiva more from a claims perspective. But the second way it connects to Ben Akiva is from an underwriting perspective. You know, when Nick and I first met, um, one of the things that, that him and I geeked out on or nerded out on was that idea where you could take a, a, a death claim, a life claim, and turn that into an asset retention, new business opportunity for the carrier. And, you know, our, my struggle as an advisor was, you know, I can't, I can't send a beneficiary through a terrible claims process while constantly apologizing for the process. And then offer that carrier's products and services as part of their go-forward plan. So the thought process was, is if we could give that Amazon-type claims experience, now we can, we can, you know, we earn the right to provide those products and services. And that's where Nick came in because uh, we started geeking out on, wow, you could, you could take external data sources, you could pair it with the, the data you collect as part of the claim process. We could ask suitability questions as part of this process. And as part of the payment, we could actually offer products and services as a portion of the overall payment. Wow. <laughs> you know, so that's that's how we that's how, you know, risk and underwriting kind of turn comes back around uh, to Ben Akiva. Yeah. And the second part, too, is when we go through the claims process, we saw this at co- during COVID. Right. Um our platform manages the entire claims and servicing process. And we are gathering all the information from all parties involved in that claim process. But what was interesting was we had carriers come back and say, okay, can you provide us data on which claims are COVID related? And we of course say, certainly we can, we can provide that data because we manage the entire process. Well, now we loop that back to the actuarials which in turn is what does pricing for products. So that's where, while underwriting or, or risk management, you know, at the, at the 10,000 foot view, you would think, what's that has to have to do with claims? But then when you get to the nitty gritty, you're like, wow, everything is interconnected and, and related in some way, shape or form. It, Absolutely. It, is, it, it is what attracted me to Ben Akiva. Cause um, Brent, if you remember when we met, I was actually interviewing you for, for my podcast. I was walking around with a microphone. And, you know, when you told me what Ben Akiva was doing, I'll admit, like the first line of what you said was what seemed like a yawner. Like, oh, we do claims yeah. on the life side. But then as you walk through, you remember when I interviewed interviewed you on my podcast, I had a light bulb yeah. where I was, I recognized like, oh, wait a second. You're not just doing the claims. You're circling this back around. So this becomes a potential revenue generator for yeah. the company and not like something like a service or uh, something to reduce expense, which is which is still still very important. But I mean, let's brass tacks, right? Like it, revenue is what drives all decisions. You were able to do both. It yeah. circled back around. And that's when I knew like, oh, you're on to something. Like you you can solve that now, like you will, you will have a very successful um, startup here. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about GreenShield Risk Solutions. Uh, What are you guys doing to help solve some of those big problems facing the industry today? 
Yeah. So um, the big problems are in risk management. So when Pat Blanford and I got together and we were discussing, you know, what is it that we wanted to do? We both, uh, both of us said, <laughs> we don't want to just sell another insurance policy. We were just, neither one of us was interested in that. And we both recognized that like you sell this insurance policy and then you're sort of just waiting for a claim to occur. Yet we had all of this rich information that we're talking about, whether it's drone, aerial or whatever. We had a lot of very rich and robust information that we thought, you know, it'd be interesting if the stakeholders had access to that. What if we could level the playing field? Underwriters never share their information with the stakeholders, the broker, the property owner. They don't share that information. Maybe they should. Maybe if they shared the information, it would it would nudge the property owner to make, you know, an upgrade to the roof, to put in impact resist, resistant glass, to make a home wildfire fortified. Maybe they would do those things if they recognize that it would get them access to more insurance capacity and maybe more economical insurance capacity, which, which is true, right? You reduce the risk on the roof, mm-hmm. you, will, you should get a lower premium because the risk is lower. Right. And so that is the problem we're trying to solve. We're trying to, to forge the triangle um, of risk management, prevention, mitigation, and risk transfer. How, how do you do that? You do that with information. Yeah. You do that with what we call risk transparency, right? We, we make the underwriting process transparent to the stakeholders that are available. So we're building a technological platform that's going to create that sort of, um, that sort of in- interplay between property owner, broker, capacity. Um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll bring it deeper as well because we, we don't want to lose sight of the loss control elements that currently exist. You know, having a world-class inspector go to say a homeowners association in California and creating a wildfire emergency plan. We want to, we want all of those pieces to be, to come together in one sphere, not this disparate haphazard where, you know, loss control is doing one thing. The property owner is doing another. Um, there's a, there's confusion around whether the insurance is going to respond. There's confusion around why the price is, why the price is going up twofold threefold or why they can't get insurance. We want to uh, bring a level of transparency around that and really be uh, prevention and mitigative uh, first and foremost. We're going to lead with that, uh, using risk transparency and then backing it up with insurance. So it, it is in many ways an FM global style model right? Um, you can't, you can't get access to our insurance capacity unless your home or your property meet particular criteria, right? With FM global, they did it with fire. We're going to do it with natural catastrophes. So, uh, start, um, you know, wind and wildfire are the two we think most vulnerable because we have in California and in Florida, there are literally property owners that can't get insurance at any price. That's so got to solve that. Yeah. That is just that that's mind blowing to me that there are people out there that can't get insured because of those factors. So Brent, just to kind of get a little bit of feedback from you, 
what do you think the impact is on the industry? This yeah, I, I was just going to say, could you actually imagine, you know, building or buying a house and then not being able to put insurance? I just, I can't even imagine that, you know, having that, that uh, type of asset, which arguably is probably one of the largest, if not the largest asset that a majority of people own, but yet you can't put insurance on it. I'm like, holy crap, you talk about risk. That's a big risk. Yeah. Um, uh, but I would agree with Nick that I think, you know, technology has changed and, and it's and it's moving the, the industry forward. I think data is a big thing that's moving the industry forward. Um, but again, you know, in a scenario like this, it, it, it kind of reminds me of another conversation I had was, where you kind of have to have the foundation, the foundation of the technology in place in order to leverage the data. And what I mean by that is there's all kinds of, you know, analytic models and data models and things like that out there that you could potentially leverage. But like in our case for, for claims, those are all great claims, analytics, engines, and, and things like that. But if you have a, a, a claim staff person that's in, 15 different systems to process a claim, right? What good is the analytics going to do you in that scenario? I would argue that you probably need to solve that foundational piece first of having a technology that allows you to ingest all of these uh, analytics and data and engines and things into your process. Very much similar to this side. You, you mentioned you're building, like not only to, to put the triangle together, part of that is, probably this technological platform, so to speak, I would think. Yeah, uh, Brett, uh, you've heard um, data is the new oil. Yeah. Right? <laughs> what do they do? Oil by itself is basically useless. Like right. oil, oil needs to be distilled, right? Yeah. And, and I think part, um, there's not a lack of data that's out there. The thing is the, the data is not bespoke enough. So we 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 kind of classify it as the data is not insightful enough and it's not actionable right and so that that's a key component so we think about risk management right um a property owner here you know in Florida for instance mm -hmm. right what are the things they need to know well they don't need to know what fire code they're in right what protection class right they're in. that's that's not a needle mover for them on, on their risk. Like fire is important, but it's not a needle mover. Right. This is hurricane country, but they need the primary, the two primary needle movers for, um, for, for hurricane wind are the construction of the home quality of the construction and the roof, right? Like everything else is almost like a far, you know, third, fourth, fifth. Mm -hmm. And so it's um, not only getting access to the data, but lining it up in such a way you, you can't have the um, the stakeholders in the property consuming a fire hose of data. Right. And then there's going to be paralysis. So the, the data has to be translated into insights and that insights has to be translated into some, something actionable. If yeah. you were to make a dollar's worth of investment into the pre prevention and mitigation of loss for your property, what's the biggest bang for your buck? Yeah. is is a very key item otherwise they have too many options and they won't won't know um, they won't know what to do first or they might they might make the wrong decision they might do it haphazard they might choose the wrong um, 
you know, roof, roof cover or windows. So it's, it's that, it's that translation, Brent, it, it's that, that technology does a lot of heavy lifting here more than I think people realize we have had access to a lot of this information for a long time, but no one has gotten it to the point where people were, you could use it at scale. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So this final question is kind of a two-part question. I'm going to ask both of you. First is, what do you think the next three to five years are going to look like in the insurance industry? And what advice do you have for carriers? Start me? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. Um, I think I I was on a podcast yesterday where we talked about the megatrends. For 2023 and my mega trend i think extends out further so you know i brought up california and florida where there are people who won't be able to actually get insurance coverage i think it's going to get worse uh-huh. so the market's going to harden even more deeply so there we've got a bunch of macro forces that are happening with um, inflation rising interest rates um it's causing a lot of a lot of pressure. There's opportunity costs. And now you risk free, you can get, you know, three, 4%. Right. And so it's going to be difficult for insurance to function in that kind of environment um, with the types of returns they've been delivering. So there's going to be a capital pullback from there. And we are facing catastrophic losses. So Ian just poured kerosene on this problem. It caused the hard market to get even harder and so if you, you know, listen to the global reinsurers and you listen to their problems, um, everything's kind of stationary for 2023. They're not doing anything new um, in states like Florida or California. My expectation is that it's probably going to extend into 2024. And so I, um, unfortunately, I think that's going to cause a lot of problems for the insure techs that kind of made their way through. You're really going to struggle. Um, I, I, I think a, a lot of, if you don't have disciplined underwriting and you don't have a different, a, a, a comprehensive and differentiated value proposition, you're going to struggle. Like it, it's, I think insurance results are not going to improve for here, from here for property casualty. I yeah. think the, the other industries are much, I think much more attractive. I think the macro environment actually benefits them, but I, I focus on property casualty. Um, the next three to five years, I think, are going to be a significant challenge for everyone in PNC. And I think when the when we get to the other side, I think we'll be in a different realm, a different paradigm. Okay, Brent, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think from a from an industry perspective, kind of piggybacking on you know what Nick thought thought about you know, whether you make it through the storm or not, I think we're going to see a lot of uh, collaborative mergers, acquisitions, you know, those types of scenarios where, you know, some of the more cash heavy type companies who can afford to put the investments in those other types of companies will say, wow, we really like the team. We like the talent. We like, we like the problem they're trying to go solve. Maybe they're not quite there yet, but we like where they're heading. Uh, They'll be able to just, scoop those companies up and bring them under the umbrella and maybe continue down that path. So I think you'll see some of that, uh, some of that collaborative, some of those collaborative deals uh, in 2020, 2023 and, and 2024. 
I think, but it also goes back to, you know, we had this discussion with another uh, gentleman on one of our podcasts of, you know, defining what is InsureTech, right? There, there's, there's InsureTech, when it originally came out, it was technology designed to help the insurance industry. That was InsureTech. Today, I would argue that InsureTech means a digital insurance carrier, right? A technology-driven insurance carrier where you're actually competing against the incumbents, right? The first definition of InsureTech, you're, you're not competing with the incumbents. You're trying to sell into them so mm-hmm. that they use your technology, right, as a core platform. Whereas the second definition of InsureTech, you're actually competing against those. And, you know, I, I would find it, find it hard to believe that, you know, a 150-year-old company is just going to go away, <laughs> you know, in the insurance industry. It's, it's you know, we, of course, we're not going to say it's impossible, right? Because, uh, you know, Blockbuster said it would be impossible for people to stream movies, right? And guess what? Blockbuster's not here no more. So I'm not going to say it's impossible, but I am going to say that that's a pretty, that's a pretty tough thing to overcome. Yeah, you you can't. Uh, the way I, I I agree with you, Brent, and I, I always say, uh, and and I said this when InsureTech first started, even before InsureTech was even a word. <laughs> um, you, you, I find it difficult that you're going to be able to disrupt these incumbents because how do you disrupt a hundred billion dollars of cash? Yeah, yeah. How do, you, how do you do that? You know, they'll be around a lot a lot longer, and so the for the carriers though. Um, Given 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 the macro environment environments that they exist, I listen. I I think I think a lot a lot of what we're doing. I'm going to speak to P and C, but I don't. I think life and the other products are pretty much the same. Um, they're selling essentially commodity products, and I think that contributes to the problem that they're facing. Is that when it's a commodity product, you're dealing with price cycles. Yep. Whoever's got the lowest price. Yep. Um, I think that's a terrible game to play. Oh, there can only be one winner, really, you yeah. know, or, or a small group of winners. So, if I were a carrier, I would begin. I would focus on one of two things, which is um, differentiation and getting. Um, it, you have to digitize. Yeah. I, there's no. There's not going to be any room for a carrier that is not digitally oriented. And if you can't do that. Your last option is partner, like you said, Brent. Partner with someone who can bring the digital solutions. It yep. could be it could be an MGA relationship, right? Partner with someone that can that can get you the appropriate return on the capital that you're putting up. For I would say for the majority of carriers that are out there, I'm not sure they can actually execute on some sort of digitization plan. So they better look at start forming some partnerships where, you know, smart folks can um, basically rent or lease their balance sheet and do what they can't do. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. All right. Well, we've come to time. I appreciate everything you guys had to say. I'm sure our listeners will appreciate it. If you are listening, head over to BenakibaConnects.com and you'll be able to find all of our podcasts and our webinar. We'll be having a webinar this Thursday that we dive in a little bit more about risk management. Please uh, join us and and ask your questions and it'll be a good time. Thanks everybody and have a great day. Thanks for joining us this week on the Benakiba Connects podcast. 
make sure to visit our website, www.benakivaconnects.com slash podcast, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you liked this show, you might want to check out a demo of our software. Simply go to www.benakiva.com and click request a demo. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode where we will continue setting the digital foundation for end-to-end claims and servicing transformation.